Welcome to the Every Nation Taipei Podcast. We're here to help you know God, discover your purpose, grow in your relationships, and make a difference in Taipei, Taiwan, and beyond. We hope this message encourages you today. We're doing this red letter challenge, and so I, I wore my red letter shirt uh, because we were gone when when this thing started, and we were supposed to wear this the first Sunday, so I didn't get to wear it. So I'm wearing it now. Uh, they always told me, you know, don't don't wear uh, shirts with writing on it because then it's distracting as people watch you speak. But yeah, so what? <laughs> you know, this this is a good distraction. This is what we're doing: red letter challenge. Um, the first week we, was the introduction. We had the flower side chat with um, Bertina and Lauren. Uh, talking about um, that there was a, a historic moment um, talking about the what the red letter challenge is all about which is really just us wanting to take on the, the words of Jesus and to study what he said in the scripture and so many versions of the Bible uh, his words are in red so that's where that comes from the the red letter challenge and then um, then the second week I did being which is B that's is that right yeah. B we were talking about how being um, so this is a scripture, and, and it's about Jesus that said he appointed 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. So when Jesus called his disciples, the point of it, the main point was to be with him so that then they could be like him. And that's when we talk about being, the first topic of the, the Red Letter Challenge, it's really being with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus. That's the goal as a church. Uh, later on, this is what, what they said about the disciples after Jesus left. They said, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So when we're, we're with Jesus, we become like Jesus, so much so that people recognize that. And so that's our goal, is that as, as Christians, when people come and, and they meet us, they won't, be, they won't know our, our bank accounts or our politics, but what they will know is, wow, you, you're kind of like Jesus. You must study Jesus a lot because when you talk, when you act, you're, you're like him. And that's our goal uh, here as we go through the red letter challenge, studying the, the words of Jesus uh, in the scriptures. So today we're going on uh, number three, uh, which is forgiving. And here's just a quick overview of where we're headed. We all need forgiving. We'll talk about how Jesus forgives, and we'll talk about how we should forgive. Okay, so that's what we're doing today uh, in, as we go through the, the Red Letter Challenge, uh, sermon number three. All right. Some of you know, I was my wife and I, for the past 15 years before coming here, we lived in New York City. And we had a small little one-bedroom apartment. And we had guests living with us pretty much all the time, it seemed like. Uh, and so our guest bedroom was our couch. <laughs> so it was always someone living on our couch. And so one of the, the guests who stayed with us, they bought us this couch guest book. Uh, I think she must have stayed with us how long? Six months, the one who did that. Uh, but, um, but so this couch, which was really cool. And this is what it looks like on the inside. And I don't know if you can read this um, a, little, a little closer. It's hard to read there, but it, had, it says things like um, signing in. When did you come? Length of, uh, uh, how much time did you spend on the couch? What kind of candy did you find underneath the couch cushions? <laughs> Uh, what else did you find there? Did you search the couch for change? If you found some, did you return it? How much did you find? You know, and, and then it has another part where it says a report card. 
So A, B, C, D, F. It's down in the bottom right corner there. It says um, ambiance, comfort, cleanliness, refreshments, roominess, conviviality. I uh, hope we were convivial. Um, but I remember one of our guests, after staying on our couch, you know, she filled out the couch thing, and then she gave us a D on cleanliness. And I was shocked, you know. <laughs> we're just so nice to you. Can't you just kind of gloss over, you know, some of the dust and dirt that was down under there? Uh, you know what happens in couches? We, we vacuum the top and we, we, we clean the top, but then what goes down in between, we just get busy and never get down to it. So she was like, yeah, D for cleanliness. Um, but you know, here's the truth. All of us in our lives, we're kind of like that couch. We look good on the outside. We get dressed up. We come to church. We act nice. You know, we put on our best smiles, give our best handshakes. But in the cracks and crevices of our lives is junk that's hidden that we just hope nobody ever takes the time to really get under the lift of cushions and take a look at. And our hope, furthermore, is if they do, that they won't give us a D. <laughs> just, oh, no, you're pretty good. You know, you're okay. Because somehow that makes us feel like, you know, if they tell us we're okay, we're okay. And then we never deal with the junk that's in there. But today, as we talk about forgiveness, it's because we all have junk in our lives and we all need forgiveness, which is how we cleanse the junk out of our lives. Because even if you ignore it, and even if you look good on the outside, there's still all that dust and dirt and candies and who knows, you might be rich with all the change that's in there. But just starting to unpack what's in our lives. And so today, we want to, as we look at this uh, next topic under... Um, under the Red Letter Challenge, forgiving. We want to say, how does Jesus process the junk in our lives? Because we all need forgiving. And, and here's what the Bible says about our, our need for forgiving. Everyone has sinned, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says. That's just what the Bible says about all of us. And if you, it doesn't take you long, if you get close to pretty much anybody, you realize Everybody has sin. You know, you come into a new office, new job, and first you think, man, everybody's so nice, and this is like the best place ever to work at. And then after a couple of months, six months, you start thinking, oh, man, this is, the guy got that problem, this guy has that problem, that person, you know, offended me, and that's just life. Families all look great when you go to their, you know, to, to their celebration, their party, but if you're around any family for any length of time, you realize we all just got junk in our lives. We all, what the Bible says is true. Paul said it this way, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul goes on to say, of which I am the chief. And most of us could kind of say the same thing. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm a sinner. And um, I got some pretty bad sins that I wouldn't want everyone else to know. It's interesting, even Jesus' disciples, when Jesus said, one of you guys is going to betray me, they're all like, I wonder if it's going to be me. God, is it going to be me? Jesus, is it going to be me? They all knew that they had stuff hidden underneath the cushions, that they were the ones closest to Jesus, the ones who followed him, and yet even they had this sense that somewhere in me there's that tendency, proclivity towards betrayal and towards sin in our lives. And so all of us live in that place of sin, and the sooner that we embrace that and just say, you know what, I have junk in my life. And the sooner that we just embrace that amongst each other and say, you know, we're, the closer we get, we're going to find junk in each other's life. And it's going to be okay. Why is it going to be okay? Because of forgiving. Because God forgives. And that's the heart of the church. That's the culture of the church. Is we welcome everybody in, knowing that they're going to have faults. But also knowing that they come 
with us, we're already set to forgive. That is the culture of the church. So the reason why that's the culture of the church is because that's the culture of Jesus. And so we look now how Jesus forgives because this is our goal is to, to be like Jesus. As we study his words, we want to be like him. So we're going to look at a story uh, found in John chapter 8 that tells, really uh, portrays the story of Jesus that portrays how he forgives so that we then can be, start to become like him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, as we look at the words of Jesus and how he lived, God, our deep prayer is that we would feel closer, drawn closer to him through looking at his words and that we would become more like him as your Holy Spirit begins to illuminate those words to us. Father, I pray that today as we spend these next moments looking into your word that, uh, Father, our hearts would be transformed by the power of of your life, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we get into this story. The scripture says, soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. This festival of shelters in Jewish culture, there were three times a year when every Jewish person was expected to gather to come to where the, 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 the temple was in Jerusalem. This is part of why we do our, uh, our, our world conferences, and then we have regional conferences, not so much under COVID, uh, but we'll start to, to renew those. And so in East Asia, we'll get all our, our churches together. Uh, and then um, in, um, but, but every three years, we come together as a family just to celebrate God together. And this is what, what was established in the, the Jewish culture. And so one of those three festivals was shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. So they're telling Jesus, you should come with us to Jerusalem because all of Israel is going to be there. Everybody's going to be there. And you do your miracles there and everybody's going to see them. And that sounds like they're, they're, you know, like they're excited. But here they say, you can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. So the reason why they're saying come to Jerusalem is because they're hearing these stories about Jesus doing these miracles, but they grew up with Jesus. And they're like, those are just, those got to be fairy tales. They can't really be true. And if they are really true, then Jesus, you come to Jerusalem and prove it where, where everybody is. And still today, as miracles happen, we've seen miracles here in this congregation. I've seen miracles in our church in New York, miracles in our church in Hawaii. Uh, we always get reports of just people being healed, God doing amazing things in people's lives. We have a couple of books from our, uh, our, the pastors who founded the church here and their time of serving in China, just miracles in China. Uh, we have a book from the time that we served in, in New York that was written there of miracles in, in the church there in New York. And, and God is just a God of miracles, but... It's so easy to doubt those miracles even if you grew up around Jesus and they happened in your region. And so his own family didn't believe the miracles. But they, they, so, so people are all gathering together in Jerusalem. And Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. So Jesus, he, he called out sin. There were times when, when uh, Jesus said, you know, that what you're doing is wrong. And nobody likes 
getting a D on their, in their couch guest book, right? Just everybody hates that. We still love the person who gave us that. Uh, she still invited us to her wedding. Um, but <laughs> but um, you go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. So Jesus knew when he goes to Jerusalem, they're not going to like it there, especially because that's where the really religious people were, the temple was. And, and there's something about when we get into religion without Jesus, that we become very judgmental. And we start to look down on other people. And this is what was going on there. And then we, we especially love to attack those who actually do know Jesus. This has been the history of the church. And it was started in Jesus' time. And so all people are coming all together. And, and here, uh, this is our, at one of our church congregations in New York City. We had a, a Russian Jewish, what they call a messianic uh, congregation. They're, they believe in Jesus, but they still... Uh, they believe Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, which he was. So they still followed some of the Jewish feasts. And so they had uh, the, the, the Festival of the Shelters. They had a special celebration. In, in, in Hebrew, it's Sukkot. And so they came together for Sukkot, and they put up these booths inside the church. Uh, and so it's interesting as I'm learning more about Jewish history. And in fact, in, in, uh, this is in New York City, uh, the Diamond District. And, and so all the, 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 the practicing Jews, they want to have a little shelter in their house to celebrate the festival of the shelters. And, and they said in, in Jerusalem at that time, it's like a huge festival because people are putting up little booths all along the street and people are eating out there and some sleep out there. Kids like to sleep in these booths and it's, 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 a, um, it's honoring or, or, or remembering the time when the Jews were delivered out of Egypt to the promised land and all through the wilderness, they would live in tents. And so they said, we're returning to tents in order to remind, so we never forget what God did for us, how he brought us out of Egypt, which for us as Christians is a picture of us coming out of our sin-filled lives before Christ and coming to Christ. And we should never forget what God did in our lives and the change that that has made. And so they say in, in uh, Israel and in Jerusalem, when you go there during this feast, which lasts for eight days, there's all these people eating out on the street and, and just hanging out. And it's the time of, that's just like a huge party going on. So in New York, everybody lives in a little apartment. We don't have space for little tavern, you know, little shelters. And so these guys, enterprising Jews, always making money. They, you know, they have these for rent. You can come and we'll bring one over to you outside your apartment. Or, you know, you can, they have, you know, you can take it up into your apartment. Uh, and so that's, uh, anyway, a little bit of side story. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. So Jesus, what the Bible says, he snuck in. He snuck into the, the festival when everything was going on. He said, I'm not going, but then he went and he snuck in. And then all of a sudden, the last day, which is the big, huge festival, the big, huge day, and everybody's celebrating. Jesus, all of a sudden, he stands up and he says, hey, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. He shouts that over the crowds there at the temple. And what he's shouting is actually a quote from the book of the prophet Isaiah, where Isaiah is saying, this is what the Messiah is going to say. He's going to say, anyone who's thirsty, come to me and I'll give you water that will not run dry. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm the Messiah. And he's all of a sudden now revealing himself to be the Messiah. And, and in Sukkot, there was this huge, um, one of the, the huge events that they would do is they had these, these uh, what they call a menorah, which is like a, a, a candlestick. And they had these, these four huge candlesticks. People say as, as tall as 75 foot, uh, feet tall, which is uh, like 20 something meters tall huge candle candlesticks and they would light those up and in those days where you don't have a big city with street lights and everything these things would illuminate 
the, the whole temple. And so it was like this huge uh, illumination of the temple and, and a great moment of celebration. And then Jesus stands up and he says, hey, I'm the light of the world. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. And he starts to make these declarations. And, um, and, and Jesus says, if, if you'll believe in me, anyone who believes in me may, may come and drink. For the scriptures declare river, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. He says, your life's going to be transformed if you come to me. This is what Jesus wants to do in, in your heart and mind. And so Jesus now makes this, this declaration that anyone who's thirsty can come. And, and I can tell you that the, the, the Jewish religious leaders, they were not happy with Jesus. Because all of a sudden people start saying, maybe this is the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah, then he's the one who has authority. And not these Jewish religious leaders. And so the people were turning away from listening to the Jewish religious leaders and starting to turn to follow Jesus. And so there's great anger. And the, the Jews, the Jewish religious leaders actually tried to get Jesus arrested. And so they sent um, guards to him and, and to, 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 to try to arrest him. And, and these soldiers went to try to arrest him. And when they, when they tried to arrest him, they said, he's, he's too popular. Have you guys listened? This is what they're telling the, the, the Jewish religious leaders when they come back and they say, why didn't you arrest Jesus? They're saying, well, he's way too popular. I mean, we have a riot on our hands. But also, have you listened to what he's saying? He's like really good. You know, the things he's saying are amazing. And they're like, that makes them even more mad. You know, and so, and then, uh, and, and then one of the, the, the religious leaders, Nicodemus says, well, you know what? We should just let, let him be, you know, and because and if, if he's really from God, then it's, it's all going to work on him. He's not, it's all going to fail anyway. And they're like, you just shut up. You know, we don't, we need to go kill him. And so that night they're plotting, okay, how are we going to get Jesus? You know, we need to, we need to make a plan because he's making us look like fools and everybody's following him. Even our own soldiers are following him. So we, we, need, we need to make a plan to get him. And so uh, in chapter 8, the next chapter, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. So Jesus goes right back. Knowing that the, the religious leaders are sending the soldiers to try to arrest him, that they don't like him very much, that now that he's revealed himself as Messiah, they're just going to be all going nuts because they don't believe he's the Messiah. They just think he's a crazy man. Like, like if, you or if, I, if you or I went down to uh, Taipei 101 and started saying, okay, I'm God. You know, I, I'm God. Yeah, yeah. And all you Buddhists, all the, the you know, the, the, the idols that you used to worship, I'm them. I, this is me. They think, you're nuts, you know. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. So right away, they, as Jesus is teaching, they said, okay, this is our moment. This is the plan that we made. We're going to get this woman who we caught in the act of adultery. We're going to bring her to Jesus. And right away, you, re you realize it's a scheme because actually the law says if someone's caught in adultery, number one, you have to have witnesses. So we, they're saying, we caught her in the act of adultery. We're witnesses. And number two, both the man and the woman have to be punished. But where's the man? They just brought the woman. And so right away, you know, Jesus smells it. It's like, okay, you know, um, this is just, and teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. But what do you say? And so they're trying to put Jesus in this place where he, he has two untenable choices. 
One, if he says um, that, no, I, we shouldn't punish her. You know, she's, she's okay. We don't have to ap- apply the, the law here. Then the Jews, who are the ones who are at the temple, are all very religious Jews. They're saying you should keep the law. And they're saying, Jesus, the law says she should die. So, Jesus, you're not really Jewish. You don't really ascribe to the Jewish laws. And so that would bring him down in the eyes of his followers. But if, if he said, yeah, you know, kill her, then there would be an uprising. There would be, he would be um, calling on, uh, uh, he would be going against the Roman law. And these Roman soldiers would say, no, we can't do that. And then you would have this conflict between those who want to stone her and those who, the, the Roman soldiers would say, no, we, only we can kill people. And then, then, this, then a big uprising would take place and the Roman soldiers would have to arrest him because he's violating Roman law by trying to order the death of a Jewish citizen. And so, so they say, now Jesus, he's going to be caught. Whatever, if he says, stone her, then things are going to, all, you know, all hell's going to break loose. The Romans are going to come get him for making trouble. And if he says, let her go, then all the Jews are going to say, but wait, you're violating the law. And so they think, we, we got Jesus. They spent, they stayed up all night planning this. Got a woman. And they said, with, caught in the, the very act of adultery and brought her there. So um, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. And the Bible doesn't say what he wrote there. But, uh, and, and here's sometimes when I read something and, and I can't figure out what it is, I, I go to these, some of the, the experts. And so I have a couple of books. You know, every once in a while I bring books here. A lot of them are like testimonial books, but, but these are two of my favorite books that I love. This is called Jesus Through uh, Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth Bailey. And it's a guy who goes back into the Jewish culture at the time that Jesus lived and says, when Jesus said these things and did these things, how would Jews living in that culture at that time, how would they have viewed it? And so it's really fascinating as he, he unpacks this whole thing of the, the woman caught in adultery because that in that culture, it's kind of similar to what we see in some Middle Eastern cultures now uh, where, where if a, a, a girl is caught in adultery, the family, her own brothers will come and will punish her, even sometimes killing her. And that was part of the culture in Jesus' day, in, in Jewish culture. And that was part of the, the Jewish law, that if a woman was caught in adultery, she was to be stoned. Um, and then this one, IVP Bible background commentary, Craig Keener, who... Um, spoke at one of our recent conferences and, and just really a, a, a New Testament scholar. And they, they disagreed over what was written. It was interesting because uh, Kenneth Bailey said, well, I think what she wrote was um, stone her. She should be put to death. This is the, the law. And, and Craig Keener thinks, well, no, I, I think what he wrote there was, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Uh, and then all those, all, and then he said, now whoever's not without sin, Whoever hasn't in their, in their hearts not coveted some neighbor's wife, you throw that first stone. And I love how, how Jesus just turned it around there. Because uh, Jesus said, they kept demanding, as Jesus is writing, demanding an answer. So he stands up and he says, all right, she should be punished. She sinned. She's caught in adultery. She should be executed for her sin. She should die for her sin. But he said, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And so now Jesus is, is, is cutting through the mob where it's all like, okay, well, let's all pick up our stones and throw. He says, no, I want one of you. Whichever one of you is without sin, you go first. 
And all of a sudden, that changes everything. Because we love, you know, to, to uh, there's something about it. So if we're part of a mob, it's easy to accuse and to tear people down, to say horrible things. You see that in the internet all the time now. As long as I'm anonymous, I can just tear people down. But now when I'm standing face to face, totally different. So that's what Jesus is doing to these religious le leaders. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Because in that culture, in a moment like this, everyone would wait for the oldest person to make the first move, to show the way. And the oldest one was there as Jesus says, yeah, she's beginning, but if you're without sin, then you throw the first stone. And it's interesting, you know, Jesus here, he takes the law and he goes, he turns it against them. Even writing in the dirt with his finger because it was a Sabbath day. And, and he understood in, in Jewish custom that if you wrote on a piece of paper or if you wrote on a stone, that, that was considered work because that whatever you wrote would last. But if you wrote in the dust, that wasn't work because it was impermanent and would be wiped away. And so as Jesus is writing, he said, I'm, keeping, I'm a keeper of the law. But let's see if you're a keeper of the law. Because here's what the, here's what the Bible also says in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse seven in the law, it says the witnesses must throw the first stones. So whoever's witnessing, whoever's bringing the accusation says, this is what I saw, they have to throw the first stone. And then it goes on to say, if a malicious witness comes forward and accuses someone of a crime, you must impose on the accuser the sentence he intended for the other person. So Jesus is pointing back to the law and say, okay, who's the first witness? And if you are without sin, if you're not come doing this maliciously, if you're really doing it because you want to adhere to the law, number one, of course, where's the guy? But if you're a malicious witness and you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm a witness, I can throw the first stone then you better not be malicious because otherwise you also get stoned. It better, better not just be with intent to hurt this woman. The truth is these men cared nothing about the law and really cared nothing about this woman. They didn't care if she lived or died. They were just so angry with Jesus. They were so upset that he was taking away what they felt belonged to them. They were offended. Two common responses to sin that we have. One is universalism. You know, everybody, your sin's not so bad. Everybody can get in. It's all going to be okay. That's not Jesus. He said, yeah, sin is there. And she should die. Jesus said, I can't go to Jerusalem because I'm going to call out people's sin. But there's also legalism where the law becomes more important than the person. And Jesus, in his forgiveness, he threads that needle where he frees us from, he, he, we, we help, he helps us to recognize our brokenness and our sin and deal with it. He doesn't just leave the junk underneath the, the couch seat, but he says, we're going to deal with that. But he deals with it in such a way that we don't get a D, we don't get a failing grade. We still are loved and accepted. And that's what forgiveness is all about. Jesus' response is, you're guilty, but you're also forgiven. He said to the woman, where, where are those who accuse you? They're gone. I don't accuse you either. 
how should we forgive? Jesus said, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, his act of, perhaps his greatest act of forgiveness, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that point, that shows us uh, the, the nature of the way that Jesus forgives. Because here's the thing. We all come to God with our sin. We all need forgiveness. We all need to recognize the junk that's in our lives. But then God calls us in turn to also forgive others. Forgiveness is, uh, I choose not to view you through the lens of your offense. So yes, I recognize that you hurt me. But I'm not going to treat you based on the hurt that you brought into my life. That's not going to define our relationship. That's what forgiveness is. In other words, what Jesus did was he said, yes, the woman is guilty, but he took away the penalty of her sin. And that's what Jesus does for us. See, if, if you gloss over someone's sin, like have you ever, have you ever done, uh, had someone who, who did something wrong to you and then they act like nothing happened? And there's this, this tension begins to build up. And if you're like me, sometimes you're a little insecure or, you know, shy. And you, you're trying to think, how do I bring, I really messed up with this person, you know, but you're kind of Asian and you don't want to just bring it right up from the beginning. And you're just like, I know I messed up, but how do I bring it up? How do I say, uh, so, and, or, and I'm also kind of like a, a you know, a, 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 a human, a man, and I don't want to admit that I made a fault. Right? I never want to say sorry to my wife, you know. And, and, but, you know, and so, so you're just like, how do I bring this up and do this? And all that does is it, it, your sin creates a barrier between you and the other person. It breaks fellowship. And see, so when, when God tells us to come and confess our sins, it's not so that he can bring judgment. He does it so that we can find release from the guilt and the shame of our sin. And see, that's why God, how God wants us to treat others, that we forgive others so that they are also released from the guilt and shame of their sin. But we need to come to God first and say, okay, God, I confess my sin to you because I know that you'll forgive me. That's seeing our guilt, but not forcing us to take the penalty for our sin. You know, and, and forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is not, is not like I, I just gloss over. It's not so bad. It wasn't so bad. And you, know, you chopped off my arm, but it's not so bad. You know, took all my life savings, but it's okay. It's not minimizing the sin. Neither is forgiveness uh, forgetting that the person hurt you. But it is saying, even though I was hurt really bad, like, I'm not going to forget right away that you raped me or that you killed my brother. But I, I choose not to respond to you or to relate to you based on what you've done to me. I'm not going to just be looking for revenge. I'm going to offer forgiveness. It's yes, you're guilty. But you don't have to suffer the penalty of sin. And as Jesus spoke that to that woman and he released her from the penalty of sin, he says, all the anger, the judgment, the death that should come to you, guess where that anger and that death ended up? On Jesus. So the death that was intended for that woman, Jesus bore on the cross. And the death and destruction that every single one of our sins causes and deserves, Jesus also takes 
for himself on the cross. And that's what frees us from that guilt and allows us then to live where we forgive others and offer them the same kind of love that Jesus does. Father, don't hold it against them. And I won't hold it against them either. So today as we close, I, I just, I want to pray. If you've never confessed your sins to, to God, if you've never confessed and said, Jesus, I've messed up. If you've never recognized the, the pain that your sin does to you and to God especially, then today is a good day just to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Like Paul said, I'm, I'm the, the, the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst of the sinners. The Bible says if we'll confess our sins, Jesus will always forgive us of our sins and welcome us into his family, into relationship, and take the penalty for our sins. But we have to open up our hearts to him. So would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, today, like that woman caught in adultery, we recognize, Lord, that, that we're sinners. The greed, the jealousy, the pride, the anger, the addictions, the things that, that destroy not only our lives, but, but the, 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 uh, the lives around us, the things that, that so hurt your heart when you see us destroying ourselves and others. Father, we just come to you and say, we're, we're sorry. We're sinners. And we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. We're so thankful for Jesus taking the penalty for our sins, like that woman who should have been stoned. But Lord, you were the one who was executed for her sin. Father, we're thankful that you were executed for our sin. You took upon yourself the punishment that we deserved. And today, Lord God, we ask that you would forgive us of our sins. You would cleanse us from the wickedness, the unrighteousness, uh, the evil thoughts that so easily come into our lives. And that you would come and be the Lord of our lives. And Lord, for those of us who know you, who've, who've uh, asked you to come and be Lord of our lives, God, I pray that, that our hearts would once again be renewed in an under fresh real, realization of uh, the great salvation that we have and your great forgiveness for us, that, that we in turn, Lord, would be forgiving towards others, that we would be as individuals and as a church, a place where all people could come in whatever sin or brokenness, just as you said, I, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. I came for those who are sinners, who recognize their sinfulness. God, may we be those who, who reach out and embrace those who, uh, Lord, are recognizing their sin. Father, may we be a church where people come and know that they'll be loved and welcomed. And where people know that they can come and unpack their sin, confess their sins, and find forgiveness that all the junk under the cushions, Lord, can be cleaned out. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray this message spoke to you and built your faith. For more messages like this, 
visit our website at everynationtaipei.com. You can also send a prayer request and reach out to us anytime. God bless you. Till next time.